welcome to Big Blend Radio, where we celebrate variety and how it adds spice to quality of life. Hey, everybody. Super excited today to welcome Steve Rosen. He is a veteran rock journalist. I mean, seriously, this guy has covered everyone from Prince to Jeff Beck to Eddie Van Halen, and that's who he's going to be talking about today. He wrote a book about Edward Van Halen. I like to say Eddie for some reason, but it is called Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, My 26-Year Journey with Edward Van Halen. And he has quite a unique friendship with him, and it documents his friendship through these the Twilight tapes. Uh, you're going to have to check this out. Go to ToneChaserBook.com. Of course, you can get it everywhere. You can buy books. But welcome, Steve. How are you? Thank you, Lisa. I'm doing great. How are you doing out there? Doing good. Doing good today in Lubbock, Texas, the land of Buddy Holly. How about that? So, <laughs> hey, we got to bring in the other guitarists in the world, right? <laughs> Very cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. One or two guitar players have uh, come from Texas, I believe, for sure. Yeah, just a yeah. few, right? I think it's yeah. a good, it's a, it's a big state, so there's a lot of room for them. <laughs> this is true. So, yeah, but now this is so cool. So you're based out of L.A. area, which is where you know, I was born, uh, but not, not raised. And um, definitely in the hotbed of what was happening in music in the 70s and um, got to experience so much. You know, I'm jealous, right? Just totally jealous. I'm allowed to be a little bit jealous. And because, I, you know, it's it's like a little too late for me to go back into that time. You know, I was a little kid then, but. Um, you got to see so many greats, including Eddie Van Halen. But I find very interesting in Tone Chaser how you met him was at a cheap trick concert, right? And That's and right. It, you didn't actually meet him going to write about him and seeing his performance. Mm. No, no, it was. Um, you know, I'm I'm not a big believer in destiny or serendipity, but a, a lot of components came together that night for me to be in the in the same place as Edward. So this is June or July, I can't remember exactly, uh, 1977. Van Halen had signed their dealer deal with Warner Brothers, but that record would not be released uh, for eight more months until February 78. <clears throat> Van Halen had been playing all around L.A. Uh, they had sort of um, uh, made their way out of uh, their local Pasadena. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, um, and they were playing the strip. They were playing the whiskey, the, the, the Starwood. Um and I was a, a, a habitué of those clubs all the time. For some weird reason, I had never seen Van Halen perform. So I'm there um, at the Whiskey um, that night. Cheap Trick is recording a live record. I was a big Cheap Trick fan. And I thought, yeah, that's worth checking out. Cheap Trick in the, in, at the Whiskey, that's, that's cool. So uh, I'm there with my brother and um, the girl who booked the club, Michelle Meyer, um, who was a good friend of mine. Um, um, Michelle knew that I was kind of a guitar nut, you know, I was always on the lookout for the next guitar guy. And, um, Michelle knew everybody, you know, I, I call her kind of this, this, you know, rock and roll yenta. I um, mean, she was just an amazing person. And, um, she said, listen, there's somebody upstairs you need to meet. <clears throat> so we go upstairs to the uh, whiskey dressing room and standing in the corner is this kind of this lanky guy with this amazing head of hair and he's smoking a cigarette, you know, and, uh, we walk over and uh, she goes, uh, Steve Rosen, Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Rosen, you know. And um, we start this conversation and I can best describe the conversation as it felt like a, a conversation we had started sometime mm -hmm. in the past. 
and we were just sort of continuing, you know, it was just so comfortable. And, you know, we shared so many similarities. I mean, he was a huge Eric Clapton fan. I love Clapton. He loved Blackmore, you know, Jeff Beck. And it, we, we just had this connection thing. And a lot of people would ask, well, when do you think your friendship started? And if I really think about it, I really believe that the, that the kernel was, was sort of um, sown that night. Um, mm. So, yeah, on, a, on, a, on an obscure night at the Whiskey in 1977, I meet, I meet this guy, Edward Van Halen. So. The Godhead, as Michelle put him. The Godhead. <laughs> Godhead. And um, when, when Michelle described him as that, as, you know, Steve, Steve Rosen, Edward Van Halen, Godhead. Ed smiled. Ed knew what that meant. You know, he knew Michelle and he knew being described as Godhead was, you know, sort of the elite of the elite. I mean, you were on Mount Olympus by yourself if Michelle described you as Godhead, you know. Well, you uh, know, I think what's interesting is the relationship between you both is because I think why it can start so well and so comfy like that is that you're definitely into music and when, like, I know even just doing interviews that, you know, cause I've got a background in music, performed, had a band, all of that. And a musician will relax a little bit as soon as he knows, Oh, you know what it's like, you know? And yeah, we've had the band drop. I mean, our band broke up on stage and it was such an epic band breakup drama that the audience thought it was part of the show. That's, <laughs> you know, so the musicians will lighten up a little bit, you know, but once you, when they understand that you really care about every note. You know, I think they get it. And when they understand that, then it's like someone to talk to that has a listening ear, not just one that's on stage, but actually has a true listening ear. Do you think that's part of your success as not only a rock journalist, but really focusing on guitarists? I really do believe that's the truth, Lisa. Um, you know, from the beginning, I mean, I was a, I was a guitar player. I played in little local bands. Um, uh, you know, I, I love to read. Um, I love to write and music journalism was a way to bring that all together. And I think what I brought to that um, as an interviewer was that ability to, to understand exactly what that guitar player was talking about when he talked about being in the studio, man, and, and, and he can't quite get the solo right or, or um, talking about a songwriting um, uh, thing, you know, and, and, and he, you know, you know the, how, the, how he would build the chorus or the harmonies. I understood all of that. I was nowhere near as good as any of these guys I was interviewing, but I understood everything they said. And as you said, I, I understood every note, um, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I, I believe that, yes, Edward recognized that. And I think all these other guitar players, I mean, I, I had, I'd written for literally 50 years and I probably interviewed, I don't know, 2000 guitar players, uh, you know, yeah. bass players, but, and, and, and inevitably it was always that, thing where I'd be talking with them and it really happened with Edward in that first conversation where we're talking and it's kind of interviewer, interviewee and, you know, hey, Joe Perry, you, you know, when did you start playing? And then I'll make some reference to a song and, you know, some inside thing about, oh, man, that was a cool little lick you played, you know, going into the outro or something. And I could feel it. I could feel it. You know, it, it would shift from interviewer, interviewee to like, Wow, this guy Rosen, he he really knows, and you know now we're get, now we can really have a conversation. Yeah, and those moments happen. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I brought. I was a, I was a really good writer. I, I was a very good writer. Mm -hmm. But you I are a good writer. I'm enjoying the book. I'm not all the way finished, but I appreciate. I appreciate. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was to say you're good because 
you have this balance of letting the person be them, especially in this book, right? Um, you're, you're documenting these conversations between you and Eddie, but, um, at the same time, you, you're, um, humble to them and at the same time strong as, as an individual, which is important. So yeah, you are a good writer. Absolutely. And and that was a tough tightrope to walk because look, I'm sitting there with Edward, even though I know, knew him for many, many, many years, I was never um, complacent to the fact that I am sitting in the same room with, with arguably the most important guitar player to come along since, I don't know, name it, Jimi Hendrix, Clapton, Jeff Beck. I mean, I was never, I never lost sight of that. But on the other side of that, I, I, I realized that Edward didn't like being treated with kid gloves. You know, if I, <clears throat> excuse me, Lisa, I, I apologize. If I told him, um, Ed, great solo, amazing solo, he would almost get peed by it. He didn't need to hear that. He knew that he was a great guitar player. He never, <clears throat> he never needed to say it. Um, um, and he, he just ne- didn't need to hear it. So I always tried to keep that balance of, of sort of when we were doing interviews, friend, interviewer, recognizing who he was, recognizing these special things he did, but without becoming the kind of the, the psychophant and, and just kind of drooling yeah. all over myself. You know, it was, a, it was a hard thing to do. I mean, I mean, that kind of talent, and I've been around unbelievably talented people, but again, that kind of talent comes around once, once in a generation. So, um, it's, it's, it's amazing too, because I think also the, the vast experience you have, and then him also recognizing that, you know, you, you know, all these guitarists and you, you know, Rory Gallagher, sorry, but I think he's still one of the best on the planet and he was gone too soon, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, whenever you talk, it's like when it was one of the first things I read about you writing about Rory Garrell, I'm like, yes, <laughs> someone finally remembers who he is, you know, and, you know, just there's this thing about actually understanding all these musicians, truly listening to their craft, because you can't write about it. And you, you make note about this in the book about how do you write about music to get people to feel the music to actually go, you know what I mean? You, It's really hard because you can't duplicate the the sound of what they've done uh, and so that's a really hard thing it's the same thing food writers have or how many times are you going to say delicious <laughs> exactly exactly i mean that's an interesting point and so so when edward was playing so edward would come over to my place in the hollywood hills my little guest house and he'd pick up my guitar and he'd start noodling you know and i'm watching him and and then all those years later when i'm writing a book i go how do i put somebody in my little front room, sitting on the couch next to Edward, you know. So I really tried to go into detail about what Ed was doing and how he was holding the pick and how the guitar was resting in his lap and how the cigarette smoke was coming, you know. And and I really tried to to go into that. And I also did that uh, by another little device uh, that I used called Note. So in the book, there's these little sections called Note. And the person who is sort of... um, um, describing what is happening in this note session is this big omniscient person. So he's looking down at Steve Rosen and Eddie Van Halen, but this guy knows everything. So he can look down there and he can describe in even more detail, you know, what Steve Rosen is saying and and all of those things. On the other side of that, he can look down there and go, Rosen, that was the stupidest question I've ever heard anybody ask. How could you ask Edward Van Halen that question? You know, so this is like um, this, this big, you know, eye in the sky guy uh, kind of keeping an eye on me but yes you're right trying to describe to somebody in words 
what Edward was doing um, musically was a tough thing. And I actually write what I, what I wanted the book to be. I wanted the book to be like one long guitar solo. I wanted the book to sort of move you text in a text way, the same way that Edward's guitar playing did, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted it to be at that level. So, you know, yeah. You were a sounding board for him and then you call it the twilight tapes of recording. And he did want you to write a book, but then was like, you know, getting away from that for a while. Um, and so it's it's beautiful that you can do this, you know, after his passing here. Here's something for fans to enjoy. If, with his blessing, though, he wasn't, you know, it, it was a weird time in between, right, for him wanting that and you getting the cojones to finally go, okay, dude, we need to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh-huh. he did he did actually sign and say, yes, let's do it. And um, But later got kind of shy about it. Um, but these Twilight tapes, it's like you're like a sounding board and, how many of us have those midnight calls with friends, you know, and especially back in the day, you know, it's like I sometimes I'm really grateful that I have friends overseas, um, though they may not like my conversations when they're having cornflakes and uh. <laughs> something. But these um, Twilight calls, I think, you know, back in the day of recording, even on cassette, it's got that warm vibe. It's like vinyl versus what we have now with streaming. Right. I always thought tape was always I love the warbly part and that you have that. um so it's really his words, but you're like his sounding board. And it's almost like he knows that you, he can talk to you about different things. And you have this knowledge of listening to other musicians too. Whereas now musicians can go to YouTube and Google and it's, but it's not the same as having someone's insight, that warmth. Yeah. So you, you know what I mean? It's like Google is like, Google is like the streaming versus the vinyl, if that makes sense. Uh, no, it makes, it makes complete sense. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, the computer is a remarkable tool. The Internet, you know, for me as a journalist to be able to look up, you know, some guy talks about, uh, uh, you know, the spelling of something. In the back of the day, I, I sort of guessed what that was. And now I can go look for that stuff. In, in that respect, it's amazing. In, in, in terms of um, what it's done to the sort of the, the mystique and the allure of musicians. But yeah, you're right. Now I can go on YouTube. I can see you know, 10,000 videos of, of Zeppelin and there's interviews with him, but none of them were sort of from back in the day. And it, it, it honestly, it's like the more I know about these people, the, the less interested I am. It's like, I, 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 I want that mystery there. And, and going back to what you're saying, um, yeah, you know, the, everything was recorded on, on cassette and um, a lot of these tapes are like, you know, my God, over 40 years old. And thank goodness the, 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 the tapes didn't disintegrate, but yeah, Ed, Ed would call, you know, and they're, they're called the toilet tapes because he'd call me at two or three in the morning and he wanted to talk. Um, um, you know, there were conversations that I didn't record that I so wish I did, but um, I did record a lot of them. And as you described it, Lisa, you know, it, you, you described me as, as sort of a blessing to, to, to fans, you know, um, because when I'm, you know, when I'm working on the book and I'm listening to those tapes and there were some pretty personal moments in there, I'm thinking, my God, do, do I, do I talk about that in the book? Do I put that out there? You know, are people going to come screaming at me, which is the last thing I wanted are, you know, are real fans going to think, you know, it's Rose and what, you know, it's just a gossip. But, but I realized that it was, it was those moments. It was those Twilight tapes as much as anything that revealed so much about him. Because we weren't really talking about music per se, 
We're talking about this guy as a human being. And a lot of people describe this tape as humanizing him, which is exactly what I wanted to do. So at the end of the day, yes, I, I included those. Um, you know, um, I think people have understood that, that they are really a positive, uh, a light that I'm trying to shine on him, that he was just human being and he had these frailties like everybody else. At the same time, I, I, I shine that light on myself, you know, and I'm in there, you know, doing coke with Ed and getting drunk and, you, you know, just, just tried to be as, as transparent as I possibly could. Um, um, yeah, it, it was, a, I was lucky. I, I, I was lucky and, and he, the two words, trust and respect. I mean, I had that from him from the moment I met him and he had that for me. And, and, you know, without that, I mean, none of this book happens. The relationship never, ha never happens, I believe. So. Yeah, and you were working on this book while he was alive and when he first gave you the go-ahead. And you'd already written a gazillion, you know, articles for magazines with him, but um, with his blessing, obviously, and, and had that trust. And that's kind of rare between a journalist and a musician or, you know, their subject, because it's like, don't tell them this. Don't don't let it, you know, they're hiding stuff, right? Which Which is important, too. You know, people's human life, right? So there's that balance. Um but you are going to other people to get this information and get their stories. But yet you're sitting with gold this whole time, but at the same time going, yeah, you have to have that, um, not abuse his trust, even though he's passed on. And also for the fans to also have that line of understanding. And at the same time, there's got to be a little bit of fear you had actually publishing this and getting it out there. Did you kind of like, okay, here we go. It's out there now. Holy crap! What do I do? Oh man, that's absolutely that is absolutely the truth. So I sit in my little room up in my little Hollywood Hills guest house. <laughs> excuse me for 14 months. At the end of 14 months, I, I have this 580-page book. And you know, until you put that out there in the world, just like a musician, you know, he's recorded his last record, and you know, until it goes out in the world, he can believe he's just written, uh, you know. Uh, you know, the, the next Sergeant Peppers, but until it goes out in the world, you get the reaction from fans because that's 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 what it's yeah. all about. You don't make music, at least I think most musicians, musicians don't for themselves. They're making it for the world to hear. You know, you you can be Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck. You know, so before I put that book out there, I'm thinking, well, I, I wrote a good book. You know, I mean, I could, I could believe I was you know John Steinbeck before it goes out there into the world. But yes, now it goes out there. Uh, you know, and fans have it in their hands. And again, man, I was really conscious of, of putting all that stuff in there. And what have I done? Have I uh, tarnished the Van Halen legacy? I mean, my God, this guy, you know, and all the things he did. And, um, but at the end of the day, I I believe that I'd written something really honest and positive, and And I really believe that fans would react that way. And they have. Um, honestly, I don't think there's been one maybe one negative response, you know, some guy wrote, well, who's this? I don't know if I can cut here. Can I curse here? That's up to you, man. We're still legal. <laughs> yeah, well, who's this fucking rose? Who, who does he think he is? You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, that the fact that he didn't know me or know that I had kn known Edward all those years, that's one thing. But other than that, it's not like people were saying, God, why did you write that? That, you know, we think so differently of Edward. Now. It was the other thing. And, mm -hmm. um, Yes, uh, again, just trying to, to, to humanize this guy. and um, It's complex and complicated. 
you know, and, mm. and that's why I don't even, you know, normally I'd say, oh, give us an antidote, but I don't even want you to, because I want people to just read it from the beginning and get the full gist of it, you know, and I think his, his, you know, wife, uh, or ex-wife, uh, Valerie Bertinelli, she went through that complexity stuff too. I mean, and, and it was a big deal. I remember when they broke up and then, you know, I think about Van Halen as a band too. Like you got Sammy Hager over here, you got David Lee Roth, and then isn't that also a big deal with fans fighting over those two? And I'm like, who gives a rat's ass? Listen to Eddie Van Halen. Who cares? Sorry, Sammy Hager. But you know what I mean? It's, and no, no offense to Sammy or David Lee Roth. Um, they both have their own qualities. Let's put it that way. But um, it was called Van Halen, wasn't it? Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, you bring up interesting points. Edward was, Edward expected from the band members um, all of the loyalty and hard work that he put in. Look, Ed, Ed, would, Ed would be out in his studio, you know, um, working on stuff, working on guitar bits. Um, I mean, literally 24 hours a day, you know. I would go over there and we would be up until six in the morning you know, hanging out and, you know, getting high. And, and I'd go home and I have no doubt that he would have, that he was still out there. He worked until the mid afternoon, maybe go into sleep a couple hours. So the thing is, yes, his name was on, on, was the name of the band. Um, um, but beyond expecting and, and, and really wanting that input from the other members. And that's kind of what led ultimately to, um, sort of those, those, riffs with Michael Anthony and Mike was a wonderful guy, but Ed wanted more from him. Ed wanted more from Dave Ed wanted more from Sammy uh, that ultimately left, uh, resulted in, in those, um, the splintering. Um, but, but in other ways, Edward was pretty passive, um, believe it or not. Um, um, he really didn't when they, when managers were brought in, I don't think he had a big say and he actually sort of got found Sammy you know, the, the, the famous story, they shared the same mechanic. So it's not like Ed went out there to, you know, purposely, I, I've got to go find this finger, you know, to, to replace Dave. In fact, he had asked me, hey, go find me a finger. And I thought he was joking. You know, it's like Edward Van Halen can't find a finger. It's not that he couldn't find a finger. I think that for Ed to, the idea, the mechanics of finding a singer or making calls or setting up auditions, it just, it just how, wasn't how he was wired. So in many ways, he was pretty passive. He put up with a lot from Dave in terms of attitude and, and all that stuff. And I'm not saying Dave wasn't amazing and didn't wasn't an integral part of Van Halen, but but Dave did a lot of things, you know. Um, and Edward Edward took them, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there were problems with Dave, and you know those things. They showed up like almost at the beginning of the band. But but Ed, yeah, I think there's a there's a balance that happens in a band of ego and, and where to leave your ego at the door and yeah. are you doing it for the music and, or the showmanship. And I think when you're truly great at it, like you're letting the music be its, its integrity. And it's really hard when all this other crap starts coming in and managers are part of that, you know, yeah. record labels are part of it. The many layers of, what actually makes an album no one sees that that's why there's grooves in a record because that's what the musicians go through. Exactly. <laughs> there's so many little grooves of getting to the actual final piece. It's um, 
it's huge. And I think that's an important part of what you've written too, is to, to humanize, you know, there's these, these giant figures, right? Like Eddie Van Halen, Rory Gallagher, Jeff Beck, you know, God, man, I'm still bummed about Jeff Beck, man. I'm, I'm still just like, dude, no way, you know? Um, but you've got to think about their sweat equity into this and their integrity. Cause I think that whenever you're in the creative arts, even as journalists, right? Isn't integrity probably one of the most key things to putting something out there and producing something? Yeah, yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And, and, um, um, j- just talking about myself real, real, real quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I had done those interviews with Edward for Guitar World back in the day. That's when I was going to work on originally the, the first book that you spoke about that I was going to write Edward's authorized biography. <clears throat> he never, um, obviously that, that, that book never happened. Um, um, but those, those articles I did really provided kind of a, a provenance for me. I mean, people read those interviews and, and, they, they were important interviews in sure. the history and development of, of Edward. And, and, you know, so later when I, years later, when I did the book, I think people, they, they had read, read those stories and they go, Oh, that's Steve Rosen. He had written those stories, you know, that, you know, we, we know those interviews. So you talk about integrity, you know, and so critical. The thing with Ed, um, if Ed had never landed the big record deal, Edward would still be playing in clubs. I mean, that's, that's what he did. He, he was just a guitar player. And I think he wanted everybody around him to have that same ethic, um, to, 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 to believe that it was all about the artistry and the music and look, all of the, you know, the trappings and the houses and the money, you know, will come later. Um, I don't think a lot of guys thought that way. Um, and, mm-hmm. and when Edward was confronted with that, Dave going off or, or, or not being available to record stuff and Dave was off on a vacation. Ed takes that as disrespect. Like mm-hmm. I'm here doing it. Dave is part of his man. Why isn't he, he here doing it? Um, you know, um, and yeah, that, that was huge with him. Um, uh, the trappings. I love that word. That is so perfect. That's a perfect word for it, isn't it? Trappings used to be it, the it, trappings it were like the glory pieces, right? It was like the trappings. It is. It's the golden, you know, birdcage. <laughs> Absolutely. Really. Yeah. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, I mean, if anybody has earned that, I mean, we're talking about Deborah Van Halen, right? I mean, mm. I mean, you know, look at somebody like Rory Gallagher. Yeah. Unbelievable guitar player. Did, did he ever get all those trappings? I don't think so. No, I mean, but he helped so many Irish musicians. Um, oh, oh absolutely. Oh, I'm not discrediting him at all. Yeah. I, you know, he, he was a man on, the, like, he just was, he helped, didn't he, like, help fund, like, guitar magazines, I think, in, in Ireland. Pat McManus was on a show, hey, a couple years ago, and talking about Rory Gallagher and what he did for Irish musicians to get out and to be able to be seen and heard. Like, you too wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for Rory Gallagher. Like, that's how good he was, you know, to, to oh, no, fellow no, I, musicians. Yeah. You know, oh, no, I, I I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I could talk about Rory Gallagher all day. <laughs> In fact, um, Niels Lozauer, Neil took the, excuse <clears throat> me, uh, the, yeah. the photos on the uh, covers of uh, the first two books and the back covers. Um, is a monster Rory Gallagher fan. He has like mil- tons of, uh, of, you know, Rory Gallagher bootlegs and stuff. And uh, oh, in fact, man. is the picture here? Um, 
Sorry, I have a, I have a picture with Rory when I, I, I've interviewed Rory several times. And, uh, well, you know, now I'm really jealous, right? Now I'm yeah, really, I, this is just called the jealous conversation. No, I'm kidding. But, but um, I, I want to go to also the fact of the, the, the title of the book, Tone Chaser. Explain that for, for people. So I was looking uh, for a title for a long time. As I'm writing the book, I'm trying to think of, of titles, you know, and, and um, I come up with a couple. Um, I think one was um, uh, uh, this, something like A Time This Was, you know, Eddie Van Halen. They're trying to be a little more poetic, you know, and people go, I don't even know what that means. I go, all right, that's gone, you know. Then I had one, um, uh, Blood, Frets, and Beers. And that's, sounds like a country album title, you know. So I kept going through things, you know, couldn't find anything. So literally, I think it was the last interview I ever did with Ed, uh, which I, which was in 2003 or, or the one just before that. So one of the very last ones. We're talking and I, I can't remember what I asked him. And it says, yeah, man, I'm, I'm a tone taker, you know, <clears throat> always going up to that elusive tone, you know. And uh, I, I said, are you still looking for it? He goes, yeah, man, I'm, I'm still, I'm still looking for it. And as soon as he said that word, I go, oh my God, that's amazing. And what was remarkable about the word, <clears throat> beyond the fact that it's such a beautiful word anyway, um, mm -hmm. um, was for him to use that word to describe himself. Ed, Ed was not eloquent in that way. I mean, he was incredibly articulate and bright. But for him to use that word, Ed would have said, yeah, man, you know, I just put, you know, some new speakers in the Marshall cabs or, you know, I'm using the new uh, Wolfgang guitar, whatever it is. You know, he would speak in, in that kind of um uh, lexicon but for him to say home facer and for him to describe it as elusive I, I thought oh my god that is so amazing which is why that that is sort of the little um excerpt um a couple pages in in the book there's that wonderful Niels Lozauer photo of Edward kind of sitting there um looking a little bit pensive and that's the description you know I'm a tone chaser man I'm always looking for that elusive tone I can't remember the exact phrasing but um, yeah, I I knew instantly that was it. it was, um, How was it going through the the tapes and hearing his voice? That must have been difficult. I remember we lost our bass player. Um, who was I also dated, you know, before the world of he needed to have kids and things, and um, I lost him. We all lost, you know, and um, we had worked on the band together role close and listen to just about everything i mean we were dissecting music you know how that happens and all of a sudden i could not play music for quite a few days you know it just became this like every song had some kind of connotation or something and when i started reading i was going god it must have been difficult yet at the same time beautifully emotionally to to go through these to hear his voice and to to go through these it, it was a pretty remarkable experience, Lisa. Um, so, yes. So I had all these interviews. I had all these cassettes. Some labeled. They were all labeled with Edward Van Halen. I knew they were Van Halen tapes, but 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 for some dumb reason, um, there were no dates on them. So I had to. Well, go it was the Twilight Calls. <laughs> I know, but God, I should have been more. Ah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd listen to a tape and I'd go, well, when did this happen? And then we'd be talking 
and he'd say something, and I go, "Oh my God, that's right. That was like a right right around '83, and I was up at Ed's house, and you know, so I, I kind of pieced it together. But yes, hearing his voice, because honestly, I haven't listened to those interviews um, uh, since I did them, or, or since those stories were written around them. Um, it was pretty hard. It was it was pretty freaking hard. The only thing that made it even possible was the fact that <clears throat> 17 years had passed since I last spoke to him. So there was that gap, you know, that, you know, you kind of, you heal and stuff. Um, um, and, and also the other part of that equation is, so I began the book on, on, on my birthday. I remember that August 24th, 2020, um, Edward passed away October 6th. Um, so Ed passed away literally six weeks after I began the book. So now I'm thinking, oh, my God, now what do I do? I think I was three or four yeah. chapters in. And it's like, are people really going to think I'm, you know, this is an insult to his legacy? Or, But, you know, honestly, I, I, again, I, I, I felt that what I'd done was, was good. And, and so I just kept going. Um, but, yes, it was really hard. And there were moments, you know, when, you know, some of those, the Twilight tape, specifically those conversations where he was opening up and I was opening up and it was Christmas and I was feeling really blue and he was saying, Hey man, it's okay. It's like, yeah, it was, it was really hard. Uh, it was really hard. I'm just so thankful. I had those tapes and that early on he said to me, Hey man, record anything you want. Um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so thank goodness I, I, I had those tapes and, um, yeah, I, I think they're very rare and valuable insights into who this guy was, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I think one of the best for sure. Yeah. One of the best. Who do you think is good now? Who do you listen to now of today? Boy, that's a tough question. Um, Isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought the rival sons were an amazing band. Mm -hmm. I love them. Um, Scott holiday, man. He had like that old school kind of Jimmy page, Jeff Beck thing. Um, Honestly, Lisa, I, I, I don't listen to a lot of new stuff. For a while there, I was doing a lot of interviews with a lot of these metal guitar players uh, for a site uh -huh. called Ultimate Guitar. So I was interviewing like the guys from um, oh, a band called Periphery, um, Meshuggah, um, you know, these, these you know, hardcore metal yeah. A lot of really good guitar players, but just not, it, it just, it, it didn't move me in the way it would if I listened to a, a Rory Gallagher record or you know, a Cream record or a Hendrix record. I mean, I really am from that era. Or Procol Harum or a Tall record or a Spirit record. Um, yes. it, it's just a different thing. And, and again, I had vinyl. I had a huge, huge record collection that I write about in the book. I, I think I probably had eight or 9,000 records. So to me, it was all about vinyl. And now, you know, you know, later, listening to records on CD was impossibly hard. I could never listen to records um, uh, online. Or as a stream, I thought that's not the way that these musicians meant it to sound. It's nothing like the way it was recorded, you know. Um, so uh, I wish I could say, yeah, man, there's these amazing bands out now that I listen to. There are, you know, you talk about the passing of Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck was the greatest guitar player who ever lived, in my estimation. I believe Edward was the most influential. I think that Jeff was the greatest guitar player. Um, he, you know, and he helped people too. I think that was the other thing is Jeff Beck helped musicians and singers get some 
uh, spotlight on, like tell Buckenfeld what he did for her. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just think like, you know, it's, there's something about musicians that, um, leave that open space, like you and, and Ed, Eddie, right? Have that open space, that connection that does give back more than their music. That mm-hmm. does give back to those in that field, like what we were talking about with Rory Gallagher, Jeff Beck, definitely. He gave so much to so many musicians, you know, that's, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to send you some links to some, some, some badass guitars we've been interviewing lately that just feel so good. But you know what? It's, um, I think it's because they're still, they're carrying, they're, they're original in them, but they're still carrying that torch from the past. Yeah. And sound and keeping some of the blues yet hard, you know, if you can do that merge. Of, you know, you have to have that bit of soul in there. I'm sorry. You can, you know, you can, you can do, be as technical as you want, but if you have no soul, it just sucks. Well, I agree. I agree. And yeah. there are a lot of guitar players out there on YouTube who have technique that are, that is dazzling. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay. It's that, that doesn't do anything. You have to have the dynamic. And if you, you can have dynamics that are technical and that still sucks. Exactly. <laughs> you know? The other side of that, um, that, that, doesn't get talked about a lot is Edward as songwriter. So he's talking about these other guitar players. He has unbelievable technique, but maybe the compositions, you know, maybe we've heard that before. So that that's a rare thing when you can write and and yeah. play, uh, you know, at that level that Edward did. So, oh, right on. Well, yeah. so now you're this book, Tone Chaser. Um, this is looking at going towards the third printing now. Well, um. The second edition has been doing unbelievably well. This past weekend was an ex- it was extraordinary. I-, I sold an amazing amount of books. I mean, I was so happy about that. So um, a third edition, maybe. Hey, why not? Why maybe. not? Everyone, Tone Chaser, understanding Edward, my 26-year journey with Edward Van Halen. Why do you call him Edward instead of Eddie? Before you go, I have to ask that. That was one of my... The, the, the first time I met him, um, uh, uh, Michelle, Michelle would Michelle called him um, Eddie. Um, but from the first time I called him or we spoke, uh, he always uh, said, "Hey, it's Dave Edward, Edward, hey, it's Edward." You know, um, so that's how he referred to himself. So uh, typically, when somebody refers to himself, that that's the name they want to be called. You know, and he always called me Steve. Uh, typically, I would have used Stephen Rosen. Um, but he called me Steve, so I used Steve. But uh, yeah, Ed, Ed liked Edward. He didn't particularly like Ed or Eddie. He thought he sounded like a little kid. But uh, you know, he got he got used to that. Uh, you know, he told it's me. funny because he gave you his number when you met each other, and yet had he had read any of your work, and you'd listen to him. You know what I mean? So it this was a genuine friendship just from a good conversation. A good conversation is worth so much. It really is. You know, it is. So. And I love that question. And, and I write about that specifically in the book. I don't think he ever read one word I ever wrote. I, I would I would have the magazine, you know, of, of one of the Guitar World stories and he's on the cover and he kind of look at it. And I think he's going to open it up and flip. You know, I mean, I think he, he loved the idea that I was a music journalist. Um, but but but. 
not because I had met all these guitar players. I, I think he just liked the idea. I would like to believe that he, we still would have been friends had I been a, mm. a librarian or a, a bank teller, you, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think he ever read anything I ever wrote. He read one thing, and, and it's, it's a funny little anecdote. Um, I went to the, a NAM show with Edward in, in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. NAM is the National Association of, well, you, you probably know, music. Music mer merchants. Merchants? merchants of music. Mer yeah. You know, it's where all the musicians get together and buy stuff and exactly. represent I stuff. All the <laughs> guitar makers and drum makers bring their new yeah. stuff. Uh, people from <clears throat> uh, guitar stores, excuse me, <clears throat> order stuff at the stores. So um, I wrote this story and I um, I drove over to Edward's house that morning. We were going to take a flight to New Orleans. It's eight in the morning. He's got a can of beer in his hand. Ed was a, a, a split malt liquor drinker. In this story, I said, yeah, Ed had a, a, a can of Flitch malt liquor, um, um, blue and gold. Somehow Ed saw that one line, or maybe I showed him the story in the magazine when it later came out, and he goes, no, that's not right. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, the one thing he's read, and he's not right, he doesn't like it, you know? He goes, no. He goes, the can was blue and silver. Yep. I said that was blue and gold. So that's what he responded to, not the fact that it was a story in a magazine or anything. I just oh my God, Schlitz. Oh my God. Think about that. Yeah. It's still around, you know. <laughs> that stuff has not gone Oh away. no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those are the big cans and. No, seriously, from our band days, speaking of the, our bass player, it was Foster's oil cans. And once in the blue moon, people look oh, at me God. like I'm nuts because here I am with a Foster's oil can and I will drink it and people just look at me like what I don't care the Foster's oil can comes out it's like a weird guilty not a guilty thing because I really don't give a damn it's just a thing and it was like yeah. a weird you know it's like <laughs> we didn't have money I was like let's have our Foster's you know I and it's it. the same kind of thing and I remember a, a friend of ours a major music person um would drink Schlitz and we would laugh. We're like, we'd sit there with our Fosters and our Schlitz and go, you know, we're the happiest poor people on the planet. Yeah, it's weird. And hey. loved Schlitz. Hey, that's it. Hey, each to their own, man. That's all good in the hood. Well, yeah, congratulations yeah. on getting the book done because, you know, and, and from the first run to now second, going to the third and um, excited for everyone to go get it. Everyone tone chaser and they can go to tonechaserbook.com because you actually sell them directly online. That's a novelty in itself. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I'm really a, a, a tech technically I'm a Luddite. I don't get it at all. I was lucky to even figure out how to put a book up on Amazon. I'd been on eBay. I saw guitar picks, but yeah, I just figured, Hey, I've got my little site come there. You know, there's, a lot of cool pictures and you know fun little stuff so yeah yeah online right on right yeah. on and i gotta give a shout out to our sponsors of the day uh steve and karen uh wilson we call them mr and mrs wild they own a victorian bed and breakfast and they travel uh all over the place uh following music and um uh, you talk about guitarists they love they love guitars and their bed and breakfast is known as the lion and the rose bed and breakfast in 
Asheville, North Carolina, great music city. A lot of good music. Hey, Warren Haynes comes from there. So, you know, talk about good musicians. <laughs> him shout out. So if you go to Asheville, go to lion-rose.com and stay with them. It is not your grandma's bed and breakfast, I'm just saying. They do serve beer when you get there. He brews beer. Speaking of beer, he's going to yell at me later about Foster's and... <laughs> Okay, listen to this. Uh, but when you go in, ask for the dirty Godiva beer. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Steve. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Lisa. It was great. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio. Keep up with our shows at BigBlendRadio.com.